This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. If you're wondering about all those California theme songs, my sound engineer, Tatiana Zemis, realized all our guests today happen to be from California, so hence all the California music. I'm Ken Smothers, professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to Your Money Business Radio Series XM 111. If you want some advice what to do with your money, how to save it, invest it, and buy insurance with it, getting the will, paying down debts, budgeting, really anything to do with your finances, now is your opportunity. Give me a call live on Tuesdays here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Go back to the phone lines in just a second here. Before doing that, welcome to the show, Patrick Stark, who's the director of financial planning with RS Crum. Uh, that's located in Newport Beach. He's the lead advisor from, for them. He's involved in uh, NAPFA, National Association for Personal Financial Advisors, as well as on the advisory board for the UCLA's uh, Personal Finance Planning Program. He does a lot of work with military personnel. He has a, a, a Bachelor of Science degree in Chemical Engineering from UC Davis. And his bio says, big blemish here. He's a Raiders fan. Oh, um, no. One of the dirtiest teams ever in NFL. And you talk about the tuck roll. I agree with you on the tuck roll game. That was dirty pool by um, the Patriots years ago. I can't believe you still remember. You're still living that game, aren't you, aren't you Patrick? Yes, Kent. I'm still living that game. First, <laughs> hey, great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. And you know, we're t- since we're talking football, uh, congratulations to the great city of Philadelphia hosting the NFC well, Conference yeah, this weekend. Thank you. Thank you. you uh, rocking Sunday night. Yeah, I, I confess. I also grew up in. <clears throat> I grew up in a city that has the perfect record in NFL. Yeah, no, no, no wins. Zero and sixteen. Oh. Cleveland. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, um, Jackson's having a tough time over there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're all having a tough time. Uh, uh, at Cleveland right now with that football team. So, Pat, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'll go back to the phone in just a second here. And uh, before doing that, just tell us a little bit about your firm, R.S. Crum. And if you have a typical client, what's here she like? Absolutely. So, R.S. Crum was established in 1976 by Richard Scott Crum. And I know that in this day and age, there are uh, the, the fee only designation is very yeah. common. However, in the 19, mid 1970s, it was almost non existent. Yeah, think that's right. The that firm existed. And Richard Crum actually created the, one of the first, if not the first, fee-only firms back in 1976. Yeah. And we've been around for over 40 years. Uh, we do financial planning and investment management. Uh, we manage about $400 million um, in assets with about 220 client households. Uh, we have five advisors and three support staff, and each of our five advisors holds the certified financial planner designation. Yeah, and, and I will say, um, it, yes, it's true. There are definitely more fee-only advisors today, but as we all know, still a small fraction of everybody calls themselves a financial advisor is truly uh, fee-only. We only have fee-only on uh, uh, this show, and you're absolutely right. 1970s, how you do? It's one other firm on this show that goes back that far in terms of uh, fee-only. It really is uh, very unusual yeah. um, to go back that far. That's re- very much pioneering uh, work there. So again, speaking as uh, Patrick Stark, the director of financial planning at RS Crum, located in Newport Beach, California. Give me a call. Love to answer your questions here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Promise to go back to the phone lines. Do that right now with Jen calling from Arizona. How can I help you, Jen? 
Hi there. Um, I, too, am a Las Vegas Raiders fan. And <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so my question is, um, right now I, I am doing a interest-only uh, mortgage payment. It's 2.5% on a $300,000 uh, mortgage. Mm. And instead of putting the principal towards that amount right now, it's going into another investment of long-term growth um, vessel. I'm not quite sure what it is in. Um, so wait, 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 wait. Just... You're putting your principal of your house in the investment, and you're not sure. <laughs> what, this is, uh, the, the, is this the Hail Mary pass, these football analogies? <laughs> again? I mean, what is going on there? So um, I'm, I'm sure, I know it's like Eagle Fund something, but um, it was just suggested by uh, um, my Morgan Stanley advisor. Mm. <laughs> So oh. maybe I need to do some research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that, Jen. So uh, t- t- tell me about this two point five percent interest only. I mean, keep in mind, you know, yeah. Patrick comes from California, and they had very popular times with interest only um, loans, and obviously that you know a lot of a lot of risk uh, uh, with yeah. those because you're not building up any real principal uh, uh, there. Yeah. This two point five percent is that some type of fixed rate when does that reset when yeah, is the jumbo rate for five years yeah. and then it goes to adjustable for another 10 after the five yeah and it can only go up to five percent yeah um right now the house is um worth uh about 475 good that's that what's going to be my next question because that's going to be very important uh, for the next point here, and that is, it, it sounds like you have three hundred thousand dollars in the mortgage, um, but the house is definitely not underwater. You, you got uh, some equity in the house. Have you started looking for? And I, I should uh, look at the screen what you actually called for, but I'm going to focus on this anyway. Um, have you looked for kind of a fixed rate mortgage, and what can you find, and you know what kind of rates, and then you know what kind of you know uh, how much does your monthly premium uh, or payment go up? Um, no, because I think over the next like five years, I was just going to do this with the fact that I'm probably going to be moving before I shop around for another, um, you know, regular mortgage. Okay. Okay. And you're, you're pretty confident you're going to be moving for whatever job or, you know, to be, you know, in Las Vegas, you know, walking, walking <laughs> yeah, distance to the to stadium. The Vegas Raiders. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, um, and, and so, uh, Patrick, your, your thoughts. I mean, normally, you know, it's, uh, we think this is potentially risky, you know, type of thing. It sounds like she got a little bit lucky in the sense that, you know, she has some equity. Uh, keep in mind, Arizona is one of those areas that, because they don't have the same supply constraints as, say, California, is one reason why so many did interest rate only and even negative arm loans in California is they say, oh, there's supply restrictions, especially in the L.A. and the Bay Area. It just mm-hmm. meant that, you know, prices had to go up or go up. It's not so true. Uh, in Arizona. But your thoughts in terms of, you know, is she doing kind of the right thing with her mortgage? If she's going to leave in five years, I don't have a problem with the interest yeah. on the mortgage. Generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of mortgages like that. I understand the investment advisor's intent, and the intent is, well, hey, you know, your house isn't sitting there making any money, so you should take out a big mortgage, give it to me, I'm going to invest it in the stock market, and I'm going to earn 8 eight to 10% a year. But we have to recognize as investors is that we earn our returns day by day, not in 50-year chunks of 8 or 10%, Okay. So the market can stay irrational longer than we can stay solvent. So I'm not a fan of using a mortgage to uh, and investing the proceeds in order 
um, you know, to try to uh, get outsized investment returns. Yeah, it, it's really is uh, not so much different, Jen, than simply you know getting a loan from a bank, you know, uh, maybe a home uh, equity loan, the lower interest rate, and then investing that in the stock market. It's really kind of a levered uh, position by not. Um, you know, making contributions to your principal, um, you're not, you know, essentially establishing equity in your home. It sounds like you maybe you, you got got lucky that house prices, you know, appreciated anyway. So you're going to have some equity uh, in your home. You know, I, I, I guess I would still tell you that, that, that uh, you know, five years from now, you think you're going to move. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, maybe at least start thinking about, you know, looking for, you know, three and a half percent, you know, fixed rate um, uh, 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 loan just to see what's going to happen. If you know for sure you're going to be moving, then, you're, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and you're pretty confident that that house price is not going to uh, decrease that much. And you have a realistic, you know, expectation about what that house price is. Because keep in mind, if that house price does go down and you're underwater, so you're going to be, there's the big lock-in effect um, of being hard to kind of turn over that home. Uh, but for the most part, we really don't want to use kind of levered, you know, positions in the stock market. Um, it's it's just a very kind of risky thing. It sounds like maybe you got lucky uh, this time, especially because we had a nice kind of run-up of the market. Um, but the last thing I would also say, Jen, is uh, even if, in fact, you know, this thing pans out for you partly because, you know, we did have a nice run-up in the stock market. It got Maybe you got lucky and, uh, and you had the your home price also went up independently. Uh, uh, that you know, maybe they typically. I find advisors who make that recommendation are not fee-only advisors. I mean, typically fee-only advisors are not the ones making that recommendation. Yeah, I think they get 1%. Yeah, yeah. Right under 1%. Yeah, I would be looking into that. You know, I'd be looking into that. And basically, even if you're going to stick with a 2.5% mortgage and doing the current strategy, maybe you start thinking about maybe taking that money, moving it um, to uh, look for a a true fee-only advisor, or if you feel comfortable you know, just, you know, you understand the investment strategy and you're comfortable with it, even doing it yourself in Vanguard, something like that. But, you know, at a minimum, I would be checking into that investment advisor because, again, an investment advisor that's fee-only is typically not making that recommendation, and that means often much higher charges. The bad news could be that you are paid a big front load that you're not going to get recovered, but, you know, that's something you should be investigating uh, to figure that out. Is that helpful, Jen? Yes, it was. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much for calling. I really appreciate it, Jen. And let me go to Eric calling from North Carolina. How can we help you, Eric? Hey, guys. Um, so I'm a, I'm a technical consultant for a software company. I work remotely. Yep. Um, and I'm an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, I, I was granted from, my, from the tech company, I was granted a uh, restricted stock unit. Yep. And I'm coming up on a vesting schedule where um, I'll get a quarter of the total that I was allotted, yeah. right? And um, so I'm trying to figure out what exactly to do. I have um, about 55000 in in student debt um, and between my wife and I. And um, I'm really – I'm doing the Dave Ramsey snowball. Sure. And really trying to focus on paying down and, and getting rid of all debt yeah. where possible. And then once that's all gone, then I'll really focus on retirement, which I – kind of flipped around i started with retirement when i was right out of right out of school good no that that's good yeah so right right now i'm really focused on paying down debt and i know that once i vest the the amount of rsus that i vest i did a little research 
uh, I'll have to pay income tax on that amount, whatever sure. that uh, that's worth. And right now it's sitting around like thirty five thousand. Right. That, that the vesting RSEs will. And so I'm trying to think of whether or not it's it's smart. What one? I'm not. I've never experienced this before. What what is the best practice to you know for me to to take out that money and paying taxes and that sort of thing? And then uh, do you think it's a good idea for me to just use it to just crack down on a bunch of that student debt to try to get that off my plate? Yeah. You tell me what's the interest rate on your student debt? They're 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 various. Yeah. What's the highest? The highest is like seven percent. The lowest is like three. Yeah, I mean, and when you think about you know paying off that student debt, and uh, yeah, I mean, seven percent. Even uh, you know they have to look more at some of your numbers. Even if you were getting some type of um, a, a tax benefit, minor tax benefit from some of that, you're you're still talking about very high kind of risk free uh, yep. return uh, there if by paying that down. Um, and so these RSUs, I mean, is they going to be fully vested, uh, or a quarter of them will be, uh, fully invested. And there's a, an established price already. And, or is that going to be determined at the point, uh, of, of vesting They they do some type of, um, since this is obviously a private company, it's not a publicly. I assume it's not a publicly traded company where there's a, a, a market price, and so they, they do some type of determination of the price at that point. It is publicly traded. Oh, it is publicly traded. Okay, my bad. All right. So in that case, um, it's going to be uh, you know very easy to kind of determine uh, that that price. And it's, what is your income um, uh, per, per your your household income uh, annually? So my wife stays at home. We're, yeah. we're blessed to be able to do that. And yeah. I, I make I make about one thirty. One thirty. And these RSUs, you said about thirty are going to invest uh, next year. And then, um, uh, when is the next vesting going to happen after next year? What's the what's yeah, the time? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's kind of cool how they how they do it. Um, okay. So it's it's twenty five percent after after one year. Yeah. And then um, a, I think it's a twelfth. So every quarter for the next year, I'll get a you know a, a twelfth of the remaining amount. So over it's a four-year total vesting schedule. Um, yeah. But so so I'll have chunks of like seven to ten thousand dollars per quarter for the rest of the year. So yeah. that's like based on this decision, will actually drive the rest of my decisions for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's a very common vesting schedule. It's known as the uh, four-year vest with one-year cliff, and so uh, it's uh, that's pretty. Um, standard. And so it sounds like um, uh, the reason I asked that, if there was a gap, then sometimes there's an opportunity to kind of split when you take the money out across tax years. Um, but wow. it sounds like that, that that's not going to be the case um, here. And in, in terms of other saving for retirement or anything else, how much other saving do you have? I think it's around like 40000 Okay. So that's kind of your emergency fund, something like that. Is that right? Like in the savings account? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Patrick, your thoughts, you know, in terms of it really is about, you know, the RSUs. Uh, on one hand, this is it's a very non-diversified stock, and it's also in the company he's working for it, so it's even doubly undiversified. <laughs> so the exactly. company goes so poorly. Yeah, real yeah. simply, yeah. Um, yes, I would um, I'd pay down the debt, pay down the student debt. The 3% is getting to the point where it's tempting to hang on to it, but I'm not a big believer in debt, um, and mm. I, I just pay off as much as I can. 
And I wouldn't be afraid about paying taxes on this stuff. And yeah. this is something we go through a lot with our clients. What I like to tell our clients is, you know, the only thing worse than paying taxes, not paying taxes. When you pay taxes, you made money, okay? Now, you want to pay taxes in a smart way. You want to um, uh, spread income, perhaps, uh, to, to hit certain tax brackets um, if you have certain things going on in your life. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to pay taxes on investment income Yeah. Um, in, in situations like this. So okay. write, the, write the check and smile. Yeah, if the, unless okay. you know, you're certainly you're going to be paying taxes. Yeah, you could potentially delay them at the risk, low risk-free rate today. It's not going to be a big tax saving anyway. And there's no gap years uh, that we could take advantage of. It's kind of splitting things up. Uh, but the, the the key about this, Eric, is not just that there's a lot of money in one company. It's a lot of money in the company that you're working for. And so that's all the more reason why we want to diversify away uh, for that. So what I would be doing is I would be uh, so you mentioned earlier the snowball strategy. It's not something we advocate on this show a lot in particular um, snowballing basically says first of all we do advocate paying down debts aggressively but the snowball really is about just going for the smallest loan first you know and getting some psychological win of paying down debt um, you know if you need that that's fine but really I think our job is to tell you what's the best thing to do and that is to look at your highest interest rate uh, uh, rate uh, loans first even if it's the bigger ones and uh, really uh, pay uh, uh, as much as you can on that one, making the minimum payments on the, all the lower interest rate ones. And then once that big one gets paid off, the highest interest rate uh, gets paid off, uh, we work down. Um, only yeah. if, in fact, uh, you really need a psychological win would I work on just ranking by loan size, which is kind of the snowball strategy. Uh, and the reason yeah. why is when you have a spread between uh, three, 3 to 7% interest, um, uh, spread. Uh, just focusing on the smallest one could actually be very costly. You really want to focus on the highest interest one first. So thanks so much for calling, Eric. Really appreciate it. And let me go to Jim calling from the great state of Ohio. How can we help you, Jim? Hello, Professor. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Why? Yes. You know, I, I, it's, I wasn't having a problem earlier, but you know, <laughs> but go ahead, Jim. Very good. I um, well, I had a couple of questions. I'm I'm 64 and I'll be turning 65 later this year. Yeah. And probably uh, you know, in probably ready. Well, not so much ready to retire, but I'm probably going to be retired uh, at the end of this year. And one thing I do have is I have a lump sum offer from mm. my previous employer, payable um, around my 65th birthday in the fall, and that is. Um, Seventy thousand, or I could take four hundred and forty-seven dollars, roughly a month for life. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's one of the things. And so I, I I was listening to your show, which I do on Tuesday nights when possible. I appreciate it; it's a great show. And um, I was listening. You know that you were saying it's it's like discounted so much that it's usually better to just stay with the monthly payout. Yeah, yeah. So th- tell me a little bit more about this. You said seventy thousand dollars versus how much per month? Around, I believe it's. Uh, $447. All right, $447. And so when we're talking about kind of, you know, break even, we're not talking about that many years uh, to break even. Yeah. And we're talking about a private employer, um, uh, I assume. Is that right? Well, it, it's a, a previous employer. Okay. A previous employer that's a public company. It's a. It's a. 
it's a public company. It's a Fortune 50 company. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, but uh, and what I meant is, it's not like a, a state and local plan or something like that. So, some of them Correct. have actually been trying to get rid of some of their pension liabilities by doing payouts as well. Um, and the reason yeah. why I asked that is, yeah, I just wanted to try to get a sense if it's covered by the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And now, do, do you know? This is a very specific fact. Um, is that employer is are they actually still running the pension plan, or did they uh, sell it off to like an insurance company um, that is ba- basically a big kind of annuity that's that's paying off? Do you happen to know that? Well, I I believe that they manage it themselves. Although unless it's you know Hewitt Aon Aon Hewitt yep, yep, yep. has something to do with yeah. it. Yeah, there's a good chance they do. Yeah, in fact, they're in the kind of insurance consulting uh, business themselves. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, a lot of times a lot of the fortune, uh, 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 large companies, Fortune 50 companies, and so forth, run their own. Now they have to look at you know their own case, but they certainly would know <laughs> what to be doing uh, here. So I will say more generally, you know, from a general perspective, um, typically the payout is not unless you're telling me you're really sick and you're on your deathbed and so forth, but typically the, the one-time payout, uh, there's a reason why they're offering that. They're trying to tempt you to try to get uh, out of their pension liabilities as soon as possible, but it's usually not a very good deal. They're using a pretty, a pretty high discount rate um, to get that calculations. Patrick, so you know, I'm not going to ask you to do actuarial calculations on the fly, but has that been your experience uh, you know, in terms of payouts? Uh, if you did the calculus for other clients, that typically the payout, the one-time payout is not as good of a uh, benefit as it's taking the you know the, the monthly yes. uh, payments. <clears throat> that, that's what I've been seeing here the last couple of years, especially the discount rates I'm seeing are upwards of six percent, yep. which means you'd have to invest the lump sum and get a six percent guaranteed, guaranteed return over your lifetime. And the way I look at it, I think six percent that's, that's pretty tough. I and mean, we're using five percent and on average fifty fifty portfolio right now for um, our retirement planning. And if you can get a guaranteed six percent return, that's pretty good. Um, now, if it's lower, say two or three percent, then it leads you to believe, oh, hey, I can invest a lump sum and do better than that over the long run. But the discount rates I'm seeing lately, I'm concurring with you, are relatively high, six percent or higher. Yeah, and just to put that in the context as well, Jim, when you think about fifty-fifty portfolio doing five percent, you know, fifty percent of that portfolio is the bond part, and that's actually doing much less you know, than five percent. Exactly. And so, if in fact you had seventy thousand dollars, if you were to take some of that and invest in bonds, you're certainly not going to get a risk-free return of close to 6%. And those are the type of rates I've seen. If you really want to do some uh, a careful actuarial analysis, if you go to my website, kentonmoney.com, there is an advisor on the list. Um, he's actually a fee-only actuary. Those aren't very common, but nonetheless, uh, he is a fee-only actuary. His name's Scott Witt, W-I-T-T is the last name. And what he does, he specializes in making these calculations for a fixed amount of money, a few hundred bucks, a few thousand bucks, it just depends on the complexity and so forth. He'll do these calculations and uh, it kind of gives you a peace of mind uh, factor. Uh, I no, uh, get no, no money recommending him or anything like that. Um, I don't charge it in my advisors for being on my website. And so, uh, it, but he's a, he's a guy who uh, does these calculations for a living. And so, you know, if you, uh, chances are you're better off taking the, um, you know, the monthly amount, not doing the lump sum. But if you really want to make sure, you know, I would de- definitely go to Scott Witt. It's worth a few hundred bucks just okay. to do that calculation. Okay. Yep. So, so thanks so much yeah, for calling. I, I, yep, go yeah, ahead. Because I, I, don't, I don't know that I necessarily needed the, the money right away because I was going to add that, the pension monthly payout to my Social Security when I begin drawing that. 
and I kind of wanted to check to see if you think I have enough money to retire this year. Yeah, well, let me ask you that because uh, uh, we'd love to, if, you know, for uh, for most people, you should be looking to push your Social Security claim into age 70. Um, uh, how much money do you have? If you retire this year. Do you have enough money to not use Social Security for the next five years? Well, I, I have I have uh, six hundred. Let's see, I have IRA or four hundred one k number one. I have six hundred thirty five thousand. Okay. Four hundred one k number two. I have three hundred and. So basically, the answer is unless you're living huge in Ohio, and I come from Ohio, unless you're going to Cavs <laughs> right. game every night, things like that, you, it sounds like you have plenty of money. And by the way, if you really want to do some double check calculations for that, and someone I have on the show quite a bit, uh, we'll have him back in a few weeks. Larry Kotlikoff at Boston University has a, a website called Maximize My Social Security. Again, no financial relationship with him or the company. And uh, for, I think he it, it started in 40 bucks or something like that. He does these really detailed calculations of how to optimize your Social Security. You're at that age. You definitely should be shelling out 40 bucks just to make sure. Chances are you're going to be better off, you know, retire at age, uh, or you retire when you retire, you know, age 65. Um, but then, you know, for those five years, mainly live on your assets and uh, not claim Social Security to age 70. But if you have a spouse, you know, there's potentially some optimization there with a spouse benefit. Uh, so we want to look at that um, as well. Again, that's uh, uh, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. Thanks so much for calling, Jim. Really appreciate it. And uh, let me go to James calling from Maryland. And how can we help you, James? Hey, how are you? Just wanted to check to see. I haven't paid too much attention to savings because I've been in a pretty uh, fortunate position as far as pensions. Okay. Uh, so I just wanted okay. to kind of give you an idea of where I'm at and, tell, and ask you uh, how well I think I'm going to be off. All right. Give me the numbers, man. Give me the numbers. All right. So 50 years old, I probably only have about 200 grand in savings. Okay. Um, I've got two kids already through school. One either may not be an issue; it already may be paid for, or it'll probably cost me about a hundred grand over four years. All right. Um, I my pension is about sixty-five a year. That increases with the cost of living. So this is like a, uh, you're calling from Maryland. This is like a federal uh, pension. Yep. Okay. Good. And, and that's then, where you get you're, you're getting the cost of living. Uh, for, uh, index from okay. Yep, and then it, uh, there's also a disability payment that is currently about twenty five a year tax free. Mm -hmm. uh, may may increase up to thirty thirty five in the next year or so. Okay. Uh, wife makes about twenty a year, probably going to go to forty. Um, and I I right now trying to figure out you know uh, i was making about 150 for the last couple of years probably moving to a job that's probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood about 100 i'm having a conversation uh this week about that and then my father uh we should probably walk away with it won't be a taxable estate but between the three of us we'll probably get about a million million and a half each okay um so i mean right now our monthly expenses uh, run in about eight thousand. Um, in about five years, that'll probably drop to about six. Another five years, get the last kid out of the house and kind of out of college. Yeah. Probably drop another couple, uh, and then ten years from that, the house will come off for about twenty three. So you know, we're probably looking somewhere around four or five a month for expenses. Mm -hmm. My, you know, we'll be making probably close to a hundred, if not over 
just in uh, pension, okay. and then you know have. Well, keep in mind the D, the DI will kick off at some point, um, age sixty five, something like that. Um, but the 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 pension plan is either military, federal government index for inflation, and the indexing for inflation is the key. Um, and, and it sounds like that's going to be um, delivering you sixty five thousand dollars until you pass away. And is is your wife protected as well as it, or is it just until you pass away? Uh, I so I bought it in the survivor benefit plan where essentially she gets about fifty five percent of that. Yep, yep. For the rest of her life, okay. Increasing with the cost of living. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, certainly you're going to want to, you know, that's that's the bigger risk here. You're going to want to try to get costs down and so forth. So is your question uh, when you can retire? Is that the or what is your question? Uh, no, I mean I'm kind of, I, I guess. How comfortable do I need to increase savings if I'm going to have about a million dollars coming, you know, at the passing of my parents? And I'm probably going to be making about a hundred a year for the rest of my life, just in yeah. alone. Yeah. So, are, are you comfortable off. working till you know age sixty-five, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, you're probably the, the key here is the pension. You know, you never know when that million's coming or if it's even coming and so forth. You, we don't want a yeah. plan to completely rely on that. Uh, Patrick, we only got about a minute left in the segment, but any thoughts here? Yeah, just briefly. Uh, first, yeah. congratulations on your pension. Very rare to have a yeah. pension. Even rare to have a pension that's adjusted with a uh, with a with a cola a yeah. cost of living adjustment. Um, and Ken, you brought this up, and thanks for bringing it up. It's the survivor benefit that I'd be most concerned about. Just doing a back of the envelope number, I think uh, calculations. I think you're going to be fine. I want to make sure your wife is okay if you happen to pass prematurely. Yeah. Okay. At 55 percent survivor benefit, does that leave your wife enough money to live on? Yeah, and, and that's that would be my primary uh, focus here. So, James, here's what I would do. And first, try to make sure you're claiming Social Security benefits at age 70. Um, again, uh, look at the MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. At some point, um, uh, you don't have to do it now, but in some years to come. Uh, and the reason why that's going to give you a much bigger survivor's benefit is just going to inherit a bigger benefit. Um, and secondly, because uh, that uh, you know $65,000 is great, but she's going to get 55% of that. But potentially even consider, this may seem crazy, 50 years old, but consider maybe even buying a little bit of a life, a small life, a 10-year life uh, insurance plan until you've been able to build up even more assets. So thanks so much for calling. Really appreciate you got to go. Patrick, thanks so much for coming on this show. You can find out more about Pat by going to his website, rscrum.com. Again, rscrum.com. I thank my wonderful, wonderful guest today, my audio engineer for great California spin music here, Tatiana Zemis, my producer, Michelle. Uh, Stucker, we'll see you next week at 2 p.m. Tuesday. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.